Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, how come Halton is not in lockdown when the rest of the greater Toronto Hamilton area is? Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger gives us some words of hope. Moderna's COVID-19 vaccination has been approved by Health Canada. When can we get it? And a professor at Yale says, once this is over, oh my goodness, it's a post-pandemic orgy of sex and spending. Is it the Roaring Twenties all over again? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Christmas is so close, I can smell it. Or maybe that's my festive mask. It's the last Scott Thompson Home Show of the year. No pressure, Dad. Here's Scott Thompson. Hey, that's pretty good. Where are you going? One shot for some? Just don't uh, swear on the air. Don't drop any F-bombs. Nothing that'll get me fired. Oh, don't worry. I don't swear at all. <laughs> so uh, I want to thank you very much for uh, spending your uh, days here at home with us. Uh, doing the intros uh, every day. Uh, I think you might have a little bit of a, a, a fan following here because of doing this. So I appreciate it uh, quite a bit. Uh, you're off for the year. Is there anything you want to say? Any way, anything you want to describe? Any way you want to describe uh, the last year? Or just happy to get it over? And am I putting you on the spot? No. Uh, I mean, it's been a pretty eventful year. But, <laughs> I mean, it's almost done now. But 2021 won't change anything. So we just have to hope that the vaccine comes out soon. And, uh... We get this virus over with. And until then, do what? Uh, well, this is what they say at my school. Uh, be polite and walk on the right, but uh, wear your mask. <laughs> there you go. Walk on the right. You say that in that sh- on, uh, say that on this show, uh, Junior. It could be political, but I understand what you mean. Right side of the hallway, yes, right? right side of you the hallway. You can't be just like a mob no. going down the hall. Yeah, no. All right, perfect. All right, well, thanks very much, dude. Have fun. What are you doing for the rest of the afternoon? Yeah. Probably just gonna sit on the couch. <laughs> sit on the couch. Oh, so it's something different today. Yeah, something different. He's <laughs> he's changed uh, pieces of furniture from the chair to the couch. Thanks, bud. All right, it is twelve eleven. It is nine hundred CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, probably shouldn't have put him on the spot like that. Lord knows what he might have said. Uh, feel free to jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you. Lots of ways to do that. Send us a note via the website Scott Thompson at nine hundred CHML dot com. Phone lines are always open at nine zero five six four five three two two one. One star nine nine hundred on your cell. Facebook and Twitter. You can hear the podcast edition of the commentary there. Lots to talk about today. Uh, let's bring in the mayor of Burlington, Marianne Mead Ward. Uh, obviously, uh, right now, as it stands in the days up to Christmas, uh, Hamilton in a lockdown, uh, as well as Toronto and Peel, and, and pretty much the Golden uh, Horseshoe. Well, certainly the Greater Toronto Hamilton area, with the exception of Halton, that has managed to stay uh, out of the lockdown for these three days coming up before. Christmas. So again, to talk about all of this, Marianne Mead Ward is with us, Mayor from Burlington and with us now. Marianne, thank you so much for the time. Hope you're doing well. I am, although I have to say the orgy of spending for Christmas online has already started in my house. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure it's been helped along by the eggnog and brandy. So yes, it, it, the only vehicles <laughs> that seem to be on the streets are those from delivery companies. Yeah, we, we've done a lot of online shopping, but I actually enjoy it. I've saved a whole pile of time. So uh, it's one of those things that I think will outlast COVID. Yeah, I, I believe that. It's amazing uh, how things have changed in every facet of life as a result of this. So getting lots of questions, Marianne, in regard to the fact that Halton is not in a lockdown now, surrounded or bookend by those that are, and, and your thoughts on all of that. I saw your appearance on CTV News Channel the other day, and the reporter was asking you uh, that you'd been there just a few days ago, and, and your opinion had changed all this. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about where Halton is? My, my opinion did change, and I think one of the hallmarks of this pandemic is act fast and no regrets and, and change based on new information. So we have always been advised by health officials across the province to look at health indicators based on a public health unit level. And when you look at Halton Region's public health unit, our numbers are well below, always have been throughout the pandemic all of the lockdown regions. And so it didn't make sense. It it wasn't warranted based on the health evidence as we understood it up to that point. However, the game changer 
was when the Ontario Hospital Association, our own hospital and others said, look, we've got to look at actually health uh, hospital capacity and we have to look at that single indicator, especially across the entire region. And that that's really all of southern Ontario. So what that meant was, uh, you know, if there are uh, areas all around us where the hospitals are filling up, it will eventually come to our area. And so we all have to now uh, do our best to tamp down this this raging fire of of COVID-19. So I had a, a long conversation with our hospital president and CEO and uh, learned some new insights around what we needed to do and changed my mind, as you would expect. Um, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, and, and, and I've been trying to convey to, uh, to listeners who, you know, I mean, obviously we get all, all kinds of feedback from people regarding this and, you know, uh, regarding the, whether it's new cases or what have you. And, and I kept trying to explain to them, it's not whether you or I get ill. And if we do, chances are we will just go on and we'll recover and everything will be fine. It's about the small amount of people who do not do well and end up in the ICUs. So really, this is nothing about us. It has it has more to do with hospital capacity and those that yeah. it does affect and, and and pushing those numbers to a point where if you have a heart attack, uh, you can't uh, get service or, or whether you have a uh, a pre uh, a precondition, which you need to ha- have some sort of diagnosis for uh, or surgery, cancers, what have you. Those cannot be done. But we've sort of been at that for a while. So are you surprised that you know? I, I, many people are surprised that right now, uh, through these three days ahead of Christmas, that Burlington is is not, and all of Halton is not uh, locked down, certainly along the horseshoe meeting with Oakville and Burlington. Your thoughts? So our, there has been no evidence that any of our businesses have been the source of spread. And so, again, we have to make decisions based on health evidence, and we have to make decisions based on what works. And I can tell you our businesses have gone over and above what the minimum legal requirements are to keep their customers and their staff safe. And and by doing so, it doesn't matter who walks in their front door, if it's safe for a Burlington resident, it's safe for a Hamilton resident or a Mississauga or a Peel resident. Uh, having said that, some of our businesses have turned down anybody from outside, uh, anyone from a lockdown region out of an abundance of caution. And so businesses are doing what they need to do to keep everybody safe and healthy. And I think that's been the struggle throughout this is why shut down uh, the businesses, especially the smaller ones. Uh, where you don't get the crowds, you don't get the lineups. You know, people have said, hey, keep the small mom and pops open, close the malls. And, and that's kind of a narrative that I've heard in the community. Uh, having said that, the, the malls, uh, I was by there the other day to check out what was going on. And uh, I can tell you the, the parking lot in one area was completely empty. Uh, not the one you could see from the road. That So people drive by and say, oh, my goodness, it's full. If you just go around to the bottom, it was empty, which was unheard, it's unheard of, uh, you know, in the days leading up to Christmas. But they had controlled access. They were counting numbers inside the stores. They were doing that. So, you know, everywhere you look, things are different. It's not a free-for-all. It's not business as usual. And and every business uh, doesn't want to be distinguished by having been traced to a super spreader event that would close your doors possibly permanently. So, you know, I, I expect people to take their own precautions. We certainly have seen businesses take precautions. But but the larger picture being until we get the spread throughout southern Ontario stopped dead in its tracks, uh, we're going to have a hospital capacity issue, and uh, and we can't have that. So, you know, I support the me- the additional measures that are being taken. Uh, although Halton has low enough numbers now to keep it uh, out of lockdown prior to Christmas, are you concerned that by next week those numbers uh, will have gone up as a result of this? Well, we've been beside the lockdown region throughout the pandemic. Our you know our geography hasn't changed, and. Something is happening in Burlington with our residents and our businesses that we're just not seeing the numbers. And that is because, quite simply, people are following the recommendations of public health. And I am so grateful and so proud of them for doing that. They will continue to do that. And I think that's why our numbers have been and still remain 
low and much lower than those areas all around us. But we do we do need to look at what's happening in those hotspot areas and get a handle on what's causing the spread. And I don't think that that enough is being or has been done to ensure that proper contact information is collected. Really, when anybody walks out their front door, where have they been so that if there is an infection, that we can trace it. And the fact that there is a, such a huge number of cases we can't even trace to source, that is the issue. And that's why I think an abundance of caution has been employed by uh, public health, by our hospitals and by the premier. And I, I support that until we can get a, a much better handle on where the spread is coming from, what's causing it. Uh, we're going we're going to start to see this, you know, continued shutdown. And it's really unfortunate because it does punish our small businesses, which to date have not been the source of spread. Uh, we were talking uh, last week about Ottawa, because at one time, Ottawa, and you had said that, um, and, I, and I might correct you here, Mayor, that, that you had never been a concern. I remember when we changed from one system to the other system, that, and, and after, uh, I, I think you and the Mayor of, of Burlington and some others had lobbied the government to stay open, that cases spiked in Halton after that, and you were in like the top three or four uh, for a brief period of time there. So uh, again, in talking about Ottawa, very everybody was very much interested in them because at one time they were like the third hottest spot next to Peel and Toronto, and they have got that under control. And and the mayor was criticized when he said, you know, it's because of the great protocol and everything that we've done and, and the people in the citizenry doing what they have to do. And any expert that I've talked since then, professors have said, it really has nothing to do with that. Everybody is practicing the protocol. Most are. What it has to do with is Ottawa is a very privileged city. Most of the people People have the capability of working from home other like other you know bigger cities or, or more diverse cities where the population and the socioeconomics just don't allow for that so is it really about people in Halton doing more as far as protocol or is it about privilege well we certainly have uh, folks who are struggling here in Burlington and I've said it a number of times it's, it's not a saying original to me but the saying is this we are all in the same storm but we're not all in the same boat and some people have yachts and some people are drowning. And we have people in our own community who are drowning or, and have been at risk throughout this pandemic. And the community spirit here in Burlington has really pulled through since the, the first days of the emergency where people were isolating because they'd been travel traveling or they got sick uh, and, and their neighbors arranged to get them food. We've had uh, our, all of our food providers, our food banks and other food distribution uh, uh, organizations come together to make sure that everyone was looked after. And, and so those measures are all there and have all been there. And I, I think the challenge is, and, and just to correct you, we have never been in the top three in terms of numbers in Halton ever. So we have always been far lower than those hotspots. Well, you know, I may be incorrect there, and we'll certainly find this out. But it, yeah. I would say, like, you, you were making mentions when at one time we weren't. So I would say at least the top five. And, and that was accurate. And this came after uh, you and the mayor of, of, of Oakville lobbied to stay open and out of uh, the next area, and then you saw a spike. So my question was, are you concerned you're going to see that now with the three days before Christmas? Well, I think people are well aware that they need to follow the, the health measures and the health protocols. And I think the challenge is when everything does get shut down, and, and, and this is what we've seen to some extent in Peel in Toronto, then people start socializing. When they can't go out, they start socializing in their homes. There are no appropriate controls. People have gotten careless. And I think the combination of people being weary and having nothing else to do in those lockdown areas, it was clear that the measures that were employed under lockdown were not significant enough. And that was part of our concern about them. Why would you just continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. That's the definition of insanity, right? So if, if the measures are not working in lockdown because they aren't working, then why would we want those here when we know the negative impact on our businesses? So calling for additional restrictions, additional measures that are far more targeted and precise and directly traced to the source of spread, we're all in favor of that. Everyone, I think, would get behind that. But, but that still is eluding us. And so what we're left with are these blanket shutdowns that affect everybody equally, whether or not the source is spread and, and then keep 
a lot of uh, businesses still open. I mean, uh, if you're in a center. That being said, Marianne, the, the countries, the places that have had the most success with getting a handle on this are places that have locked down, whether it's China or whether it's New Zealand. So we have to ask ourselves as a community whether we're willing to employ the measures that have been used in those other places. And I'm open to considering anything that's going to work. But in those in those areas, you can't travel more than in some places a couple of kilometers from where you live. Only one person can go out to get food. There is a curfew. Um, you know, those are the measures that employ that are employed under lockdown. And so even though the same word is used, it's not the same measures. And I think that's been the challenge. You can't have a sort of half measure. And so there has to be effective measures. There has to be enforcement. That needs to go up. We've seen uh, businesses be investigated, but very few charges laid, uh, similar with individuals breaking protocols. So if we really want to get a handle on this, uh, that needs to be much tougher and much stronger. You know, I think I, I hear a lot of leaders say that, Marianne, but, I, you know, across the world, I, I just don't think that has been possible. I think they're great talking points, but, uh, you know, uh, surgical, you know, surgical uh, uh, process and all this sort of thing. I mean, they're all great keywords, but no one seems to be able to come up with a plan that does that. And, and, and uh, you know, it, it seems that a total lockdown is the only way to go. That being said, we're out of time. Got to run. Uh, Marianne Meadward from Burlington, uh, Burlington, Maryland has been with us. Marianne, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, it's tough for any leader, we know, whether it's municipal, provincial, or federal, to get through this. And uh, commend you and the staff for everything you've done uh, to keep Burlington safe. And uh, be well over the holidays. Good luck. Thank you. You too. And we're all doing the best we can with the information we have, which changes rapidly. But That's have, a great, uh, have a great holiday season, and thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. That's, uh, let's bring in uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger for the last uh, show of the season and uh, get his take on everything uh, <laughs> that you can cover. And, uh, and, uh, and of course, I'm, I'm sure some words of encouragement for the next year. Mayor Fred, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing really well. And so Scott Jr., was it, what's, what's, what's your son's name? His, his name is Kurt. Kurt. Yeah, Curtis. Awesome, awesome. You should do the whole uh, the whole bit with him. He's uh, he's enlightening for sure. What a what a voice uh, to kick it all off. You've been training on being the announcer for the Raptors, or yeah, you know what? I never thought of you know. Hopefully, Fred will figure out a way to monetize this in some form. But no, he's been he's been at home obviously, so he's been doing it since uh, for forty one weeks. Yeah. So. Well, you know, you know and, that, and that's kind of, a, you know, the sign of the times, isn't it? So, uh, you know, the, this has been that kind of a year where there's been lots of staying at home, lots of working at home. Uh, I'll give you a scoop, though. So the good news is, and you mentioned vaccine at the end of your uh, your preamble, is that uh, vaccine administration is happening today in Hamilton for our long-term care uh, employees. That uh, is... So that's a, that's a first for Hamilton. So, uh, you know, we're getting... Uh, getting our fair share and hopefully getting some coverage for those that need it most, which is, you know, all of our frontline uh, workers, whether it's, uh, you know, we'll start with long-term care, of course, our hospital care folks, but everybody's that, you know, front facing out uh, in the community, whether it's transit drivers or police or, uh, you know, all the folks in the grocery stores, I think they ought to have priority, but um, good news that it's starting today. Uh, so what can you tell us about this? This is obviously our share of the Pfizer shipment. Any idea of numbers? And you were saying it's healthcare workers at this point, correct? Yeah, I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. I, I was just informed that it was starting today. I think it's it's in the hundreds. Uh, you know, certainly won't be in the thousands, of course, where we get our we we get our limited supply based on you know what's being distributed across the province. Uh, but more and more will be coming, and, uh, you know, this end of year is coming. So now we're going to, I think, see a fairly steady flow of vaccine coming in. Not not able to vaccinate everybody. Uh, that's going to take uh, quite some time. And you can imagine the global challenge here. Uh, you know, the entire globe is looking for this vaccine. So uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen in stages and in phases, but, um, but it's great that it's beginning. So... Uh, it's 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 happening, I believe, at uh, one of the St. Joe's facilities where they've they've got the uh, ex- exceptionally cold, uh, you know, freezer capacity to be able to store this uh, material, which are generally are in the uh, research areas. So uh, that uh, that's where it's happening. And for security reasons, they're not quick to identify exactly where that is. But uh, the reality is, it's happening, and that's good news.
Uh, can't let you go uh, or continue on with the conversation without asking you about the police officers that were hurt uh, the other day yeah. in the hammer. And can you give us any update on their conditions? Yeah, yeah. Sad, sad situation for, you know, both the uh, the person in crisis and for the uh, the officers. So three officers were hurt, uh, uh, but not seriously hurt. So they were, uh, they all went in for stitches and uh, apparently are back at it again or home or, but they're fine. Uh, you know, none the worse for wear, but uh, obviously, uh, you know, concern around the, uh, the the person that that was in crisis. And sadly, uh, you know, these kinds of crisis situations happen uh, all too often. So I'll, I'll remind people to, uh, you know, get a hold of the crisis hotline. Uh, and I wish I had the number off the top of my head, not that you're asking me the question, but there's the kids helpline, the kids help phone line for kids in crisis and for adults, the uh, 24-hour crisis, uh, you know, hotline. If you can dig it up somewhere, Scott, I, I'd be great if you share that with people. Mm-hmm. But you know, this time of year with Christmas uh, upon us is always extra, you know, difficult for a lot of people. And then you layer on this whole pandemic issue. Uh, you know, we're 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 bound to see uh, you know more health challenges or mental health challenges in our community, and all the more reason for people to get help early rather than waiting until someone has an episode and, uh, you know, potentially harms themselves or someone else, which yeah, unfortunately it, was the situation on Barton Street. Yeah. And again, as you mentioned, and again, as you mentioned, uh, Mayor, uh, you, you put all those issues and you, you mix in a pandemic and, and what we've been going through for the last uh, uh, 42 weeks or so, uh, you're bound to see situations like this. And just a reminder for everybody in some way, although we we have to social distance to reach out and, and help those that uh, that are in need in a, in a simple hello. How are you? Is everything OK? Uh, it's amazing how far that can go. All right. Let's talk about the lockdown. Uh, Hamilton uh, there before everyone else. But your thoughts? on where we are as we head into the holiday well i think we were in the right place uh you know given given the you know the the increased numbers that uh were highlighted both provincially and locally uh you know we're we're at a point now where hospital care is critically over 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 utilized right now uh you know we've got far too many things that have been have to be put to the side to accommodate uh, additional COVID patients uh, you know the capacity issue is one thing it is uh, having the the trained doctors and nurses uh, that are able to provide care is something that you don't, you know, whip up uh, in a couple of weeks. You know, it's many years of training to be able to do that. So our hospital system has a capacity, and uh, the moment, and we are now over that capacity, probably in every hospital across the province, mostly, or at least in the, uh, the Golden Horseshoe and uh, the very urban area of our province. And uh, that's, a, that's an escalating concern over and above, you know, the death that we're seeing in the uh, in in the, in the community that now uh, you know went from you know previously a couple of months ago to you know flattened out at about forty all tragic cases of course and their hearts go out to them and we're now at one hundred and forty and so it's it's virtually tripled and uh, based on the numbers that the uh, premier staff put out the other day in terms of the uh, predictive model uh, going from two thousand cases a day in the province to ten thousand cases a day is just staggering. And uh, it is all, you know, managed through the kind of steps that we're taking now, which is physical distancing, masking, uh, you know, unfortunately closing down. Um, and uh, hopefully people are, you know, using those online resources to, to finish their shopping or do more shopping. They, I think every small uh, you know, community, uh, you know, store has, uh, has developed an online presence. And so the, the accessibility of all of that to be able to do is, uh, is very much there. So uh, you can still continue to support your local, uh, your local favorite stores for uh, for those Christmas gifts, and and then of course uh, you know the uh, the grocery stores and all other essentials are still open, and we encourage people to only go out for those essentials, and then stay within your household. And I, I want to reinforce this notion because I hear it even from my own family members. Well, we're we're within our bubble, yeah, and I and I have to remind them that that bubble disappeared about two months ago. Because the cases were escalating, and, and for about two months now, we've been saying, stay within your own household. Don't invite other people in. Don't go over uh, to other people's homes and have that uh, card party or, or you know, the, uh, the, the gathering of, uh, you know, the favorite show that you want to watch collectively. This is not the time to do that. The bubble doesn't exist right now. Uh, hopefully, we can get back to some sense of that down the road when, uh, you know, more vaccination is available. Uh, you know, something that we were able to enjoy over the summertime. Uh, but uh, since then, 
the cases have escalated. The deaths have continued to uh, to happen in our community. Outbreaks are still happening and growing. And so all the more reason now to support the public health recommendations by masking, as you know, washing those hands still, but stay within your own household as agonizing as, that, as that's going to be over Christmas. And I can tell you, uh, it hurts me to say it because I, I feel, you know, the agonization around that. We have grandchildren that... Uh, and children that we're not going to be able to physically see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to use the virtual platforms to do that, and uh, we're, we're going to be spending Christmas with just the two of us. Are you surprised, Mayor, that Halton isn't in the same situation that Hamilton is? Are you surprised, like, even in these three days before Christmas, that they were allowed to stay open? Yeah, you know what? Uh, the Premier has consistently, and in, in the, in the medical officers of Health of Ontario, has consistently left a number of days to to move into a different category to have everybody prepare. Uh, you know, in this instance, um, you know, Halton is, uh, has been fortunate that they, are, uh, they don't have escalating cases. But, you know, I think for them, being part of this, I think, is critical because why, why have all of that activity happening in Halton coming from now Toronto and from, from Hamilton and potentially Niagara? Uh, you know, that is not at all helpful. It's it's really the way that this uh, disease, uh, this virus continues to spread. So I think we have to be in lockdown together. We are all in it together. You know, for a time, Hamilton was doing exceptionally well and, and mm-hmm. for, you know, sometimes better than Halton and better than Niagara. And then it wasn't uh, simply because there was an escalating of the virus. And then, you know, people are socializing too much and then they're going to work or they're going to school or they're going to do their favorite shopping and getting into spaces where uh, this virus can spread. So Halton's been fortunate. I don't, I don't think they ought to be uh, gloating at all. I think they're, uh, they've been fortunate. Uh, could very easily have gone another way. And now locking, uh, locking it all down as a preventative measure right through the, you know, the Great Golden Horseshoe, the, the high-density area of our, our province, is exactly the right thing to do. And we are all in it together, and I think together we need to continue to work through these issues. Yeah, I, I was I was surprised by a couple of things. Uh, number one, that that, that Hamilton, because obviously Halton is now bookend by two areas that are in lockdown, and also surprised that several weeks ago, just before the 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 uh, the levels all changed and and their capacity and such, that they were actually lobbying to stay open. And and you know I, I don't know I I just think that sort of stuff sends the wrong message, and I think that's why they are where they are. And again. When you've got borders that people cross, you have to wonder, where is it an hour and a half before the numbers are the same as they are right the way across the board? So, uh, again, I'm not sure what it does or or what kind of message it sends to have everybody in southern Ontario in lockdown and then like a a hole in the donut in the middle. Yeah, that makes makes no sense whatsoever. And you know what? I mean, you know, they could very well have been in a much worse situation, uh, you know, a month from now. So. They're not immune from any of this. Uh, you know, people are probably uh, gathering as they shouldn't in Halton as well, maybe not to the degree as elsewhere. Uh, there may be a number of factors why it hasn't spread as quickly, but it could very well turn around and, and escalate the way it did in Hamilton. Uh, you know, it was a matter of weeks when we, uh, you know, we thought we were in a good, good space and we thought we were going to go actually down to a lower category. And all of a sudden, you know, outbreaks were starting to happen and the spread started to escalate. So, I, uh, I think that, uh, you know, we need to continue to follow the science, you know, but politically, I, you know, we would all like to say, you know, on behalf of our businesses and our stores and, you know, what people would like to hear. I know what they would like to hear. Everything is well. The, the virus is gone. Go do what you need to do. We would all love to say that. But uh, unfortunately, that's not where we are. That's not what the science tells us is what's happening. We know that people are dying. Uh, now, not in small numbers. Uh, you know, where where on this in this planet would we ever accept tens of thousands of people dying on a daily basis uh, in North America uh, as uh, as you know something that we we need to accept? We can't possibly accept that, and we need to take action. And the science tells us right now the the best way to uh, to get on top of this issue is to have a uh, kind of a circuit breaker, uh, have a have a you know a one month uh, you know break that uh, hopefully will. Stop the spread, flatten the curve, and uh, get it down to a level where uh, we can manage to have some semblance of openness heading into uh, 2021. And then we'll see what happens thereafter. And as your uh, your wise son said, 2021 is going to be a challenge as well. Uh, you know, I hate to be the bad news bear, but uh, yes, the vaccine is coming. And yes, there's light at the end of the tunnel. But that tunnel is fairly long. 
and uh, we're going to continue to have to uh, put some masking and uh, and these measures in place uh, to uh, to continue to stay on top of it, even though vaccines are spreading into our community and and making the kinds of improvements that should have a dramatic effect on the amount of cases and and, and a diminishment of death. So how does this change uh, 2021 for you, the New Year's levy, the Order of Hamilton presentations? How does that move forward? Yeah, we're still going to be in a, uh, you know, very much a virtual world. So uh, we were uh, we were happy to uh, to invite some folks uh, socially distanced to take some pictures uh, in front of City Hall yesterday and put the put the medal on them uh, again, uh, you know, physically distanced. And we're going to use those images to uh, to bring it to the levy. And the levy is going to be an hour and a half of virtual presentations, probably similar to what we do at a, at a levy anyway, but all virtual, so folks can dial in at. Uh, one o'clock on january the 4th and uh we will have an hour and a half of some entertainment and then uh, you know 10 people that have been doing great things in our community are going to be recognized for their contributions uh in 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 this year and many years past that have you know forever contributed to our community but have done it without uh, recognition or the the unsung heroes that really don't get a lot of attention for the work they do Mayor Fred Eisenberger has been with us. Sorry, go ahead. The year is going to be probably virtual. Our council meetings will be virtual as long as we're in a in a situation where there's potential spread. I think uh, Zoom is the word, or WebEx uh, is the word. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm hopeful, and uh, the good news is that many of us, most of us, are are healthy and well. And uh, and the best gift that we can give one another, our families, our community, our friends, uh, our country is to not be part of the spread of this virus. That is a that is a community service right now that you can you can you can do, you can put into action and that action is going to make a difference. So you're making a contribution to a better community in the future. Well said, Mayor Fred Eisenberger has been with us. City of Hamilton, Fred, I know I, I don't think anybody envies any of our leaders in the position that they're in, whether it's municipal, uh, provincial, or federal. And again, please, uh, thanks so much for all you have done and all of the council has done and everybody uh, at the health table and such and, and, and uh, the hard work that they've done through health care and trying to keep everybody safe. Again, very, very tough position to, uh, to be in. And we thank you so much for all the work that you and everyone else uh, down at City Hall has done. Have a great year. I'm sure it'll be better in 2021. Thank you, Scott. Merry Christmas to you, and uh, thank you for sharing information with the broader community. Vital, vitally important that information gets out, and you're a great resource for doing that, so I appreciate it. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Found my notes from uh, Tuesday, November 3rd, Ontario, 1,050 new cases, the highest ever for Halton at 86. There was 34 in Hamilton and 34 in Ottawa. That was the week that they superseded Ottawa as far as... um, as far as cases. So uh, I respectfully disagree with the mayor that they have been in the top three, uh, certainly the top five, and I'll uh, get some closer numbers. Uh, I'll try to get you some closer numbers, but they were easily in the top three, if not the top five, uh, for uh, new cases uh, way back uh, shortly after uh, they did lobby to get uh, to have more things open along with Oakville. All right, let's move on. Uh, the good news is, is, is that uh, Canada has approved Moderna's coronavirus vaccine uh they say that uh once it hits soil 48 hours it will be in the arms of canadians to bring us up to date on everything that's going on let's bring in rachel gilmore journalist for global news and is with us now rachel thanks for the time i hope you're well yeah thank you so much hope you are too so this is great news you're bringing uh, uh rachel so what do you know what can you tell us about this vaccination and when we'll get it Yeah, so this is a really exciting development. Honestly, I wasn't expecting to see it approved uh, this quickly. So they must have worked tirelessly through the weekend once they got those documents. Um, So it's really exciting. The Moderna vaccine is approved for use in Canada in those over 18. Um, And basically what they've said is that uh, initial rollout of the vaccine can happen within 48 hours of the approval. That's something Trudeau said a few, uh, I believe, a week or two ago. And uh, we're expected to get up to 168,000 doses before the end of the month. So that's really in the next week, which is 
uh, it's all pretty exciting. I think a lot of people are viewing this as a happy early Christmas present. <laughs> and obviously, uh, this, you know, usually when you come in second, it's not a big deal, meaning the second vaccination to arrive. But really, Moderna's is almost like a first place finish when you think of the Pfizer and the logistical nightmares it is to get the thing around simply because of the temperatures it has to be kept at. So this is a vaccination that can actually get into the homes of long term care. Exactly. And that's something that is so exciting about this particular vaccine is not just for uh, the long term care homes, but also for remote regions. So, you know, the territories, the Pfizer vaccine was going to have a really hard time getting up there. And they've been promised 75 percent, sorry, enough doses to inoculate 75 percent of their eligible population in those territories. So Yukon, uh, Northwestern Territories and Nunavut. And uh, that's really exciting because Nunavut just actually reported their first death. So a lot of people are really, really relieved to hear this news. Um, So it travels better than the Pfizer vaccine. And also another really interesting little kind of nugget that they shared just now in the uh, press conference that the health officials held is that the initial dose of the vaccine um, provides about 80% protection. And then the second dose of the, you need two doses of the Moderna vaccine. And the second one is what you need to have full protection but that first one still gives you a lot of protection and that's in contrast to Pfizer's which only gave you about 50 percent or 52 percent protection after the first dose so so that's a very exciting development too yeah especially considering way back when before there was one even invented they said if we can get anything over 60 we'll be happy with that so that is obviously great news now the prime minister is expected to speak outside Rideau Cottage today at one o'clock more on this what are you expecting yeah, I think we can probably expect him to take a little victory lap. <laughs> um, it's a pretty, yeah. pretty exciting uh, day. I think a lot of people are really happy with this news. So, uh, And something that he was getting a lot of criticism from the opposition for um, leading up to these approvals is, you know, they, they started seeing uh, clinical trials speeding along and, you know, other countries looking like they were approving the vaccines. It was rolling out in the UK um, and the opposition criticized the government and said, we need to move faster. But now as these approvals have gone forward and uh, Canada's contribution agreements that we signed, we signed a lot of agreements with vaccine manufacturers and those are starting to come to fruition and we're kind of pulling ahead here. So, uh, you know, I think he's probably feeling a little smug, a little happy. <laughs> and uh, It's interesting though, Rachel. Ahead. It's interesting though, Rachel. We remember right back when this story started with him it was the prime minister that came out and said when he was asked by a reporter at a news conference how come other countries appear to be ahead of us and then he said well you know we don't make this stuff anymore so we're going to be in line and la 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 and that pretty much created the scenario that he it looks like he ended up maybe pulling a rabbit at maybe pulling a rabbit out of his hat and solving the crisis that really in the beginning he was the one that set the storyline that is true that he did. Uh, he fueled a lot of uh, criticism with that initial comment. Um, it's it's almost was, like a yeah. Donald Trump move in this. It's almost like a Donald Trump move in the sense where you create a crisis and then you come in and save it. I mean, to a certain extent, I, he, his comment was definitely taken and run with. Um, you know, that definitely fueled a lot of concern. The opposition did also, however, do a lot of stuff in the House of Commons. They had yeah. um, an opposition day motion that they introduced to try to call on the government to move faster, basically. So it, it wasn't entirely of Trudeau's doing. No, not at all. And I have to be fair here. I have to be fair here. The conservatives saying that we were last in line, that certainly isn't going to cut it either. Yeah, exactly. So I think that there was, you know, the the main kind of uh, thread here is that honestly, we didn't know. I mean, even myself, I thought it wasn't going to happen until next week, the second approval, because it took them five days from receiving all of the data to approve the Pfizer vaccine. And that's because they had... uh, they were familiar with Pfizer's manufacturing facilities, whereas with Moderna, we've never approved their facilities before. Um, we've never had to. So we've, they're just they're totally they were unknown to us until we studied them this time around. So, um, you know, a lot of us thought that it was going to take maybe a little longer because they had to kind of learn about them for the first time. But they really knuckled down over the weekend and they got this done very fast. So I think a lot of people are excited, a little surprised, but in a positive way by this development. And obviously, Health Canada has been really firm. They are not cutting any corners here they are checking all of their eyes and you know crossing their t's <laughs> um and uh it, they aren't approving anything that isn't totally safe for use in canada rachel uh, rachel gilmore has been with us journalist for global news make sure you're watching global news tonight at 5 30 and 6 for more on all of this rachel thank you so much for the time much appreciated be well
Yeah, thanks for having me on. Take care. Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos, is with us. Uh, support for the Trudeau government, uh, not necessarily enough to win a majority, which surprises me. Daryl, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Sorry we're short on time here. but So uh, we thought that uh, the popularity of all leaders, uh, especially the prime minister, had gone up during this time, but not enough to get a majority? Well, his personal popularity has gone up and approval of the government has gone up, but it hasn't translated into voter support. So it's like people are looking at the prime minister and the government as almost like a public service agency rather than looking at it as a, a political organization. So they've, they've put their political beliefs on hold, uh, and they're very similar to what they were in the last election campaign, even though they do value what the government's been doing. Many are thinking, many have been thinking for, for a few months that we, we could go to an election at any time. Obviously, that was put off till after Christmas. How does this change things uh, post-Christmas? Well, it still seems like the government's keen on having an election, but, uh, you know, it's just not there in the numbers for them right now. So maybe talking about an election will maybe start to get people to think about uh, proving because they approve of the way the government's performed, that maybe they should be giving them an expanded mandate, a majority government, but we haven't seen it uh, uh, take place yet. So what did, how would the opposition uh, digest these numbers? Uh, they would be probably pretty happy, because what it shows is that the government hasn't moved way ahead. The liberals have not moved way ahead based on their performance during the pandemic. So they're still very clearly in the sights of the opposition parties. So they haven't fallen back. But And, and the truth is, for the opposition leaders, uh, it's been a really, really tough year. I mean, how do you get any attention yeah. on anything the opposition leaders are talking about? So that they've stayed this close is probably good news for them. Uh, the Conservatives said earlier that we were last in line for vaccinations. Obviously, that's not the truth, even though we may not be at the front of the line. Uh, has that affected them in any way? Not yet. I mean, I think what we're seeing on the vaccination issue is that uh, there's a bit of euphoria at the start of this uh, in which people are saying, well, it's great that we've got some approved, that we're going to get access to it, uh, to vaccines, and we have another one approved uh, today, the Moderna uh, vaccine. But the real question is going to come down to, when do I get my vaccine? So right now we're in that very interesting period where it's, you know, good news related to having the two vaccines available. The public is squarely behind that, uh, you know, uh, first, uh, first line responders, first line, uh, frontline healthcare workers, the most, uh, um, uh, exposed people will get first kick at, uh, at, uh, getting vaccinated. But after that, so when we get into the, you know, the latter part of the, the first quarter of next year, so February, March, people are going to start asking, you know, where's mine? And what they're going to be told based on what we're hearing right now is it's not going to be till much later mm. in the year. That's when we're going to start to see how this pays off or doesn't pay off politically. Daryl Bricker with us, CEO of Ipsos. Daryl, thanks for the time as always. Be well, and if we don't chat, thanks for all the help this year, and uh, have a great holiday. Thanks for having me on, and uh, all the best to your listeners, and all the best to you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Many have wondered what life will be like, maybe not in January, but maybe January of 2022. Uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting piece by a Yale professor and, uh, post pandemic orgy of sex and spending is coming. What will we be like coming up the other, coming out the other end? Let's bring in Alan Apple, professor of psychiatry and behavioral neurosciences, McMaster University. He is with us now. Alan, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Yes, thank you. I'm fine. Very well. You know, it, it's interesting because we've spent the last uh, nine months or so uh, knee deep in all of this. And, and my wife and I were just saying the other day, you know, the end is near. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. What will life be like once the barn doors open up? Have you given any thought to this uh, of what happens once we are all vaccinated? Correct. Well, I think the uh, original article that... Uh, referred to a book written by Nicholas Christakis, who made these comments apparently about um, sexual behavior following the pandemic. Now, the great thing you have to know about futurologists is basically they describe the present and use that as their prediction. Hmm. Um, I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen when we get back. And it's, it's going to be quite a, t a time, even though um, the vaccines are on the way and so forth. But I think we can have some idea by looking at how people have tried to adapt to the situation. 
I think there's going to be huge changes in the way society is organized, and we've already seen that in medicine particularly. It's been quite a revolution. And there, every cloud has a bit of a silver lining in that I think health services are going to be improved. Accessibility is improved already by the use of virtual technology. I think long-term care homes need dramatic reform, and I'm hoping that will happen. That's been an issue for decades. And um, finally, hopefully, something will be done in view of the great tragedy of what has happened. So in some ways, the pandemic can galvanize some real big system changes. So I think that's a, something positive. As far as, you know, um, you know, sexual orgies and so forth, as this author apparently um, said, I must say I haven't read the book, but I did glance at some of the articles that were written about it. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, what people are craving now, I think, more than sex is attachment and connection. Yeah. People feel isolated. They feel afraid. And um, this is a very strange um, problem. You know, there have been many other catastrophes in histories, including wars and so forth. But you've always had the opportunity to be with your loved ones, to receive support, to receive um, hugging and, and, and physical support. I don't think sex is uppermost. I mean, certainly you can look at movies about the Second World War and um, how people reacted or the First World War. But when you're on the battlefield, you're not looking for sex. You, you know, you, you're, you're craving the safety of um, your family and your home. So I think the big issue is that we have come to realize that by the forced isolation. And I think that's um, a positive thing. We've come to appreciate what we've taken for granted in terms of relationships with those that are close to us. And what's really important in life is these attachments, these connections, uh, you know, Sex is already available all over the place. I don't think that's going to change too much. That's a good point. Um, we'll, what will we learn from this? Because I remember at the beginning of all of this, I think a lot of us thought it was going to pass a lot quicker than what it has. And then all of a sudden you realize, my goodness, we're in for the long haul and then the fatigue and, 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 and so on. Um, and, and prior to this, uh, it, it seemed that we were eating each other, a very divisive society. Uh, we certainly saw this in the politics south of the border, uh, divisiveness versus unity. Will this, has this, bring, uh, will this bring us together? Will we be more, will we have more empathy? Will we, will, will we care more about our fellow, our fellow human being and less divisive than before the pandemic? I think it's going to be mixed. I think that was certainly true at the beginning, and it's true in the sacrifices that uh, frontline workers, nurses, and so forth, and PSWs, and all the sacrifices, the people in the food industry, they have made sacrifices and taken risks. And they have been you know, very generous in how they've responded. I think um, it's also worth remembering that in other kinds of emergencies, such as war, things have been much harsher. Um, if you think of London in the Blitz and so forth, and mm. food shortages that continued for many years after the war. We've been lucky so far in that we've had food, we've had shelter for the most part. I know there have been certain segments of the population that are hit now with unemployment and facing evictions and rent problems. But the majority of the population has still managed to live quite relatively comfortably. Um, so if that got more difficult, if there, was, if there was a shortage of food, for example, I think that would test our ability to be altruistic and cooperative. Um, it's not the same society that existed during the Second World War, where the morals and the ethics of the day really insisted that you're concerned about your fellow person. Um, I think we've lost some of that in the um, consumer society. And so it's, I'm saying it's a mixed bag. One would hope that the, you know, the generosity and the altruism will continue. But uh, 
can't predict that if things got harder. I've often said uh, through this pandemic, this is the first crisis of uh, our privileged generation. Uh, the young people that have lived through this, the teenagers, the, the kids that have, you know, didn't get to go to their first year university and missed their graduation and, su- and, and such, um, are they on the cusp of a great opportunity? Is this possibly the next ge- uh, greatest generation as we come out of this? We remember you were talking about post-World War II and obviously a different scenario here than, than back then, not quite as grave as obviously it w- certainly was back then. But do you think that will be enough to, to spawn another great generation? Well, I think the next generation already have a lot of skills and adaptability that my generation and perhaps your generation don't have. They're used to flexibility. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they, they've often worked from home. They're working in digital environments. Um, you know, a small example, many young people don't wear a wristwatch, which, you know, is yeah. a pretty standard thing in our generations uh, because they don't need it. They, you know, they're on their phones, they're on their iPads and so on. And I think their work habits are much more flexible and adaptable to changing circumstances. So I think you're right that um, there could be, this generation could really uh, be an example on how they cope with the dramatic changes that are going to come in, in the organization of our society. That being said, we're often critical of the younger generation. They don't spend a lot of time developing their social skills. They're looking down at their devices, even if they're in a group of kids. Uh, will that change? Has this changed this? I've, I've talked to some professors who actually found the online learning better, that they became closer to their students and such, not to concentrate on education. Um, but, but you know, at one time, the young people were more concerned about the device in their hand than the person across the table. Is this changing any of that? I don't know. I mean, I hope so, given what I said before, that people begin to recognize when they're forced to be isolated that it's not such a pleasant thing. I think, on the other hand, uh, cell phones and texting have become very embedded within the younger generations, sometimes to the detriment of family relationships and close relationships. So I think that's still an area where it's going to be a battle uh, for that to be overcome. It, we've been surprised, you know, in psychiatry that Zoom interviews have actually worked and do work very well. Surprisingly, the patients really like them. They do feel connected. But it's not quite the same thing. Yeah. And you probably know this if you have somebody in the studio. When you're meeting them face-to-face, there's, there's different vibes, there's different yeah. interactions. So um, I'm hoping people will recover the desire for real human contact. Alan Eppel has been with us, professor of psychiatry and behavioral neurosciences at McMaster University, talking about what will life will be like post-pandemic. Alan, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. You're welcome. You too. Uh, trying to, uh, of course, give as much exposure as we can to the hospitality industry in the Hamilton area. Obviously, those people have just taken a massive hit during COVID-19. And as we head into the holidays and another lockdown, they're going to get nailed again. So uh, a gentle reminder to do what you can to help out those uh, that not only need your help, but those in the hospitality industry, whether you can order takeout or what have you, curbside pickup, uh, in any way to help some of these people stay in business, obviously, is very much needed. Let's bring in Jason Cassis, Equal Parts Hospitality, owner of the Aberdeen Tavern, the French and the Diplomat, and is with us now. Jason, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Thanks very much, Scott. Yeah, I'm doing okay. You know, I mean, not bad, I guess, for a pandemic. Uh, we've certainly been asking everybody how they've coped with this, and and you know, have heard some pretty uh, some pretty sad stories. As you know, obviously, uh, uh, the hospitality industry takes a hit, and people have to get laid off and such. How have you fared at uh, at your three establishments? Well, it's been difficult. Um, you know, not going to lie, it's been very, very, very difficult on the staff, our teams, morale. You know, it's one thing to have a plan A and then say, okay, well, we're going to go to plan B, but we're running out of letters of the alphabet at this point. <laughs> yeah, like, really. We're on plan E, right? So it seems like every few months we're having to change. But, um, you know, the, the, the good news is that the government has really backstopped and really started to take the difficulty that hospitality is having seriously. 
So between the introduction, you know, reintroduction of the of the rent reduction program, or you know, the wage abatement programs, there's many, many programs that we have been able to tap into to keep uh, people employed where we can. Now, a full lockdown is a little bit different. Um, some employees are better off to go on social assistance of some description than they are to stay employed. Um, hopefully, we get that behind us within 30 days or so, and we get reopened and uh, back to in-dining again. So I do look forward so, to that because that's what that's what we do. How will this lockdown for 28 days coming Boxing Day, are you guys closed down? Can you keep it open for takeout? How does this affect uh, the Aberdeen Tavern, the French, and the Diplomat for those 28 days? We are open for takeout. Uh, we also have in, in, in-home in dining events whereby we will send a full meal kit to you, cooked or something you can heat up mm-hmm. through Equal Parts events or through any of the individual uh, restaurants. So Aberdeen Tavern, the French, or the Diplomat um, all, you know, cater out, so to speak. And mm-hmm. um, the other thing is we've launched a couple of sub-brands, Mama Rosa, which is operated out of the Aberdeen Tavern, which is a delicious Italian takeout product. And the other one is House Party, which is at the Diplomat, which would be uh, finger foods, fun foods, dips, and things like that. So there's plenty of, of things that will do while we're in lockdown. The challenge, of course, being that it will never replace in-dining revenue. Yeah. We've certainly heard how many uh, establishments have have pivoted, have adapted to all of this. You were talking about the takeout dinners and the and the whole dinner aspect angle of it. Are you surprised how your patrons, how your customers have jumped on board with this stuff? I am, quite frankly. Um, you know, just our Christmas dinner program this year, we're probably going to feed uh, somewhere between maybe seven hundred and fifty to a thousand people, a thousand wow. meals that will go out the door uh, between the restaurants. Um, and, you know, and so in some instances, such as Mother's Day, our Mother's Day this year was actually larger than Mother's Day, which is one of the largest days of the year in restaurants last year. So there's some silver linings, but of course they're far and few between because there's a lot of time and space between each holiday or each special occasion. So people are really leaning on us during special occasions. We anticipate a very large New Year's Eve as well, perhaps larger than we would normally get on New Year's Eve within the restaurant. But like like anything, you know, January and February is traditionally difficult in the restaurant business to begin with, as well as March. March might be a little bit better this year because people, I don't think, will be going away as much. So, you know, we're looking forward to a little bit of better of a March. Plus, I think there's some seasonality to coronaviruses in general. So as we saw yeah. last year, it's going to abate a little bit, uh, probably by March or April. Will some of these new patios open? Yeah. Will some of these new suggestions, some of these new pivots, stay with your restaurants? You'll keep doing this, or once you get back to the normal life, the these will peter out. Well, I think the catering side will. I don't think this pandemic is just going to go away instantly. I think it's going to take another year or so, or nine months to a year. So I think they're definitely with us through 2021. You know, what that product looks like coming out the other end, I think we would definitely see ourselves operating a ghost kitchen of some description mm-hmm. um, because the event business, I think, is going to absolutely explode for a couple of years just based on the fact that no one could get married for a year. Or a year. Yeah, exactly. You know, can you imagine how many weddings we're going to be faced with or special events or christenings or birthday parties? All those things that got delayed are all going to get backed up into 2021 and 2022. It's bizarre. I know friends that have canceled their wedding twice, and it's now got to the point where they they now just have an anniversary on the day they were supposed to get married. <laughs> yeah, they might as well do something, right? Because uh, they That's keep right. postponing it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, anyway, give us some information. Life. Tell everybody where the Aberdeen Tavern, the French, and the Diplomat are, and websites or anything we can go to to uh, to engage with you guys. We have consolidated everything. If you're ordering a special meal go to equalpartsevents.ca. If you want to order individual takeout, you can go to the Aberdeen Tavern, the Diplomat, or the French.ca, and you will find lots of delicious things. We also sell gift boxes and tins and beautiful house-made 
you know, things that you can you can gift in a gift box, which are wonderful, all made from the French or the diplomat or the Aberdeen. All right, Jason Cassis has been with us. Equal parts hospitality. That includes the Aberdeen Tavern, the French, and the Diplomat. Uh, three more you can uh, use as takeout and help through this very difficult time. Jason, thank you so much for your time. Good luck with all of this, and we'll see you at the other side. Thanks, Scott. All right, that is uh, from the Aberdeen Tavern, the French, and the Diplomat, Jason Cassis. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. That's a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. Much appreciated. Thanks for listening all year and all pandemic and whatever else we've been through. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Thanks very much to Will Erskine and Jordan for produ- uh, for producing. Jordan, of course, uh, filling in for Liz. Well, she is on Matt Lee's thank- uh, Matt leave. Thanks to her for the beginning of the year uh, as well. And again, uh, remember, we will get through this. We can get through this. There is light at the end of the tunnel, but we are not there yet, and we just have to hunker down one more time through these holidays, and hopefully out the other end into the spring of next year uh, we'll be in fine shape. So all the best to you from my family to yours have a very merry christmas a happy new year take care of yourself and and look after those that are around you and need your help uh thanks again thanks will merry christmas and uh next flight for us next year until then please wear those masks bye scott there you go